1: Thank you for listening to Embrace the Truth, the teaching and apologetics ministry of Abdu Murray. Abdu spent most of his life as a serious Muslim, but after examining the evidence for the gospel and struggling with the emotional price that would come with changing his entire worldview, Abdu committed his life to Jesus Christ. Since coming to the Christian faith, he's become an international apologist, author, and professor. He is dedicated to engaging non-Christians with the credibility of the gospel in ways that touch the heart and the mind, as well as equipping Christians to do the same. Support for this ministry comes from our listeners' generous gifts and donations. For more information, please call 888-84-TRUTH or visit our website at www.embracethetruth.org. You must answer the four main questions. Is there a God? Why are we here? Why is the world the way it is? And is there a better life than this? Last week, we discovered the religion Abdu was born into, Islam, believes one God in one nature and in one person is too powerful to humble himself to humanity. Therefore, Muslims believe that we are here to submit to him. We work to gain his conditional love and earn our place in heaven. Today, Abdu reveals the unique way Christ addresses these issues. Here's Abdu. The Gospel answers the four questions
0: of life in a way that shows God is not only great, He is maximally great. He is the greatest conceivable being. You see, the Gospel in answering the first question, is there a God and who is He, shares much in common with Islam. We believe that God is one, and we believe that God is powerful. He is all-powerful. He can do all things that God can do, that a God would do. He does not do evil because he is not evil. He cannot do evil because he's not evil. He is all these things. He is just. He is merciful. But the difference is this. God is a being in relationship. Muslims will always bring up the idea of the Trinity to show that it doesn't make any sense. It's not logically possible for God to be one and three. And I agree that it's not possible for God to be one in one sense and three in the same sense. That's a contradiction. You say God is one God and three gods, contradiction. God is one person and three persons, contradiction. But the Trinity does not say any of these things. The Trinity says God is one in nature and three in person. There is one God existing in three persons. Those ideas are mutually exclusive. Can I give you an example of this? If I were to say, what is the most fundamental nature of this this music stand? The most fundamental nature of it is thing. It is an object. It is a thing. That is its nature. Its most irreducible nature is... Thing or non-living thing. If you were to point at me, you could say, what is that's fundamental nature? What is the fundament- fundamental nature of that? And you'd say irreducibly, living thing. I have a nature, living thing. This has a nature, a living thing, a non-living thing. We share the idea of what a nature is. But you can't say, who is that? To the, to, to the, to the music stand. It has no person it lacks that quality. But you can look at me and say, who is that? That's Abdu. You can say that because I have both a nature and a person. They're distinct things. And so it, makes, it is not contradictory to say God exists as one in nature and three in person. It actually makes perfect sense. In fact, I would even argue that for a Muslim to believe that God is one in nature and one in person, that sounds a lot like you and me. And if God is so easy to put into a box like this, then perhaps we created him in our image instead of him creating us in his. That if God is so easy to understand that we can just simply comprehend him in his nature that easily, then perhaps we made him up. It was C.S. Lewis who said that the Trinity is either the most ridiculous concoction by a handful of fishermen or it is the most profound truth we find in the scripture. Is either ridiculous or profound. I would argue it's profound, and here's why. A Muslim believes that God is the greatest possible being and independent of his creation. He does not depend on creation for anything that makes him God. I agree with that. But the problem with the monad concept of God, who is one in nature and one in person, is that it is deficient in this way. Think on it. The Quran calls God al-Rahman the good or beneficent. It calls him the Rahim, the merciful. Al-Wudud, the loving. It calls him all these things. These are relational aspects to God. My question for a Muslim is this, and I, I wrestled with this a long time myself. Who was God relating to when there was no creation? When there was nothing but himself, who was he expressing relationship with? If God is a monad, the answer is no one. He is limited in that way in the Muslim concept. He cannot have relationship until he creates human beings or angels. But in the Christian concept, it is the most profound idea that God is literally a community. That God did not depend on creation to have relationship. Love requires an object. You can't just love in general. You don't just say, I love. Well, you love what? You love something in, in a relationship aspect. In the Trinity, in that community, God the Father loves God the Son eternally, always. God the Son loves God the Holy Spirit. And there's a community there that exists from time immemorial, from eternity past. He does not depend on you or I to have relationship. Only in the Gospels do you find a God who exists utterly self-sufficiently, does not depend on you and I to have a relationship. You find a community in the Trinity. is nowhere else in any worldview, least alone Islam. The Trinity is not a problem to solve. It is a solution to the very nature of who God is. That is an independent God. And further than that, this God of the, of the Gospel condescends To actually incarnate himself in Christ Jesus. He incarnates himself in this way because of his desire for relationship. Because think about this: God, who is not dependent on you or I to have relationship, he doesn't depend on you and I to express love, to experience relationship, yet he creates you anyway. Not to have relationship himself, but so that you can have relationship with him. That is a free gift that you and I don't deserve. We have the opportunity to have a relationship. He doesn't need it, but he creates you anyway to do it. And further than that, he condescends to incarnate himself in this way. Think on this. There's a way in which you can let someone know something about yourself. Facebook, email, Twitter, telephone calls, chatting online, camera chats, iChats, whatever you want to call it. This is a way to relate to people, but you only get a glimmer, a glimpse of who that person is. You never really know them in this way. Writing letters, whatever it might be, sending holy texts like the Bible or like the Quran to reveal yourself to people. This is but a shadow, a slice of who God would be to us. There's no way way to actually relate to him. But God, in the Gospels, tells us that he condescends to come to this earth one of the reasons of which is to have relationship with you because the best way to get to know somebody is to actually meet them not read about them or read their commandments or their ideas you see the bible is the revelation of god but in one sense it is the revelation about the revelation of god jesus christ himself is the perfect revelation of god as paul says he is the image of the invisible god he is the one in whom the fullness of the deity dwells bodily And the writer of the Hebrews says that once God spoke to us through the prophets, he now speaks to us through his son. The best way to relate to someone is to get to know them. And by God incarnating himself, you and I get to know him. Islam knows no God like that. God is greater. What is the point of human existence? We come back now full circle. You see, I said that God is a being in relationship and he desires a relationship with you for your own sake. And that is an altruistic action to have relationship with you because he doesn't need it. But you see, I said before that the summarization of the purpose of life can be found in the Westminster Confession, which says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and delight in his presence forever. It's all wrapped up in there. The chief end of man is to glorify God and delight in his presence forever. Muslims have half the story. They believe that man's purpose is to submit and thereby praise God and follow his commandments. Glorify God. And I admire that. But they get half the picture and they're depriving themselves of the full glory, the full delight of this very idea. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and in and in his presence forever, you have a cyclical nature here because the Holy Spirit of the believer, uh, it, a believer has the Holy Spirit within him. And that Holy Spirit, who is God, tells you To glorify God. And as you glorify God, the spirit within you grows and you have his presence. And so you get to glorify God and delight in his presence. And as you delight in his presence, you glorify God. And as you glorify God, you delight in his presence. It is a full-orbed view of your relationship with God. Because he wants relationship with you. In Islam, they say glorify God. And if he lets you in, he lets you in. Maybe if you get lucky. The Christian worldview says no. One feeds on the other. It is a cycle that God has planted inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit after understanding and believing God is, God acts, and God redeems. What accounts for the human condition? It's remarkably similar in the sense that we, through our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And we came to this earth, this cursed earth, We have these things because of our own sin, and Islam recognizes that. It recognizes that the sin has lasting effects beyond the people who committed those sins. But the Bible tells us that we're not born inherently neutral or inherently morally good. It tells us that we have both an inherent sin and an inherited sin. The inherent sin comes like this, in that you, if you were Adam or you were Eve and you sat in that garden in a perfect setting where you had nothing that you could desire and you had one command to obey, you would have disobeyed it too. You would have exercised your God-given freedom to disobey his command. You and I, same thing. That's inherent. But it's inherited in the sense that the world we live in is not perfect. It is the result of that action no one needs to look but to the weather outside to figure out that this world is not perfect. And Jesus Christ did not call it a moral slip. He called it for what it was. He looks at the nature of humanity and what we do to, our, to each other and to ourselves and calls it for what it is. He says, it is the problem of human sin, not a slip that you can correct, but a problem deep within you that needs to be eradicated and cleansed by the cross. See, there is a heaven, and that is the fourth, quest, the fourth and final question to be answered. There is a heaven in the Christian worldview. There is a salvation, and it can be attained. But what does it mean, and how is it different than the Quranic view? There's a, there's a similarity in one sense, in that the Quran says that man is physically raised. You and I will be physically raised. Physically raised. This body will be raised uncorruptible. I'll have more hair, it'll be great. But you all will be physically raised, uncorruptible. And Paul says this, and he's quoting the Old Testament when he does it. He says, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you understand that whatever you're thinking about heaven is not even close? The physicalness, the physicality of your body will not be limited. Think on this Jesus walked into a locked door through his raised body. The bounds of physics. We're not there. That will be you. But more than this, what Paul is talking about is not simply the unlimited view of your body as a perfect body, but it is in the delight of his relationship with you, that you will delight in his presence. That is a far different salvation. It's not one with couches and rivers and fruit dripping off the trees, though this creation will be a a new earth and uncorrupted. That isn't the point of salvation. The point of salvation is that relationship, and so it's greater, it's better. But how do we get there? Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all these isms say that you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you can make a better life for yourself, that you can reach God. The Bible tells you the very same truth that every one of us here knows, is that you cannot reach God, he has to reach down to you. And that is the fundamental truth, that God knows that you cannot do for yourself what is required, that the stain of sin is on you, and he must cleanse it. Because God is just, he must punish sin. Because God is loving, he must forgive it. And how does he do both at the same time? He punishes it in Jesus Christ because he loves you enough to take it on himself. And that's the cross. It is a stark contrast to every other view. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is God incarnate, and so he is perfect and sinless. See, the Quran says no bearer of burdens can bear the burden of another. But Christ is sinless. He doesn't bear any burdens of his own. So he can bear your burdens. He's not a, bur- a, a, a burden bearer. He has none to bear, so he can take yours on himself. And because he is God incarnate, and because he has the divine nature, he can do it infinitely, and he pays an infinite price on that cross. This is something that I want you to understand Get this, this is, this is of fundamental importance I want your undivided attention on this Because the Muslims believe that God is the greatest Allahu Akbar, God is greater If God is the greatest conceivable being Then that God must express the greatest conceivable ethic Which is love In the greatest conceivable way Which is self-sacrifice Think on it. Do any of you have any expression of love greater than self-sacrifice? We all know when someone loves us because that someone has expressed love when it is inconvenient, when it is painful. They have loved you anyway. That's self-sacrifice. That's how you know true love. That's the greatest expression of love. And if God is the greatest being, he should express the greatest ethic in the greatest possible way, which is love, which is self-sacrifice. Islam knows no God like that. He would never condescend to be incarnate and die on a cross. He would never do that. Never. Only in the Christian faith do you see God incarnate Himself in this way. And the man Christ Jesus died on that cross, and the relationship between God the Father and God the Son undergo that forsakenness, that self sacrifice. If God cannot self-sacrifice, then he is not the greatest possible being. But in the Gospels, God self-sacrifices. God is greater. And it is free, freely offered to you and I, freely given to each one of us, knowing that we cannot earn it or merit it because by definition, mercy is not merited. It is free, given to you and I. And you live a life according to a moral code, not to attain heaven, but because you already have attained it. And that's the fundamental difference in the, in the Christian worldview. I'm going to quote for you an ironic quote from a Muslim, from one of the first Muslims, in fact, the first male Muslim believer in the seventh century, Imam Ali, who was the fourth leader of the Muslim nation, the fledgling Muslim nation. He says this, there are people who worship Allah to gain his favors. This is the worship of traders or merchants. While there are some who worship him to keep themselves free from his wrath, this is the worship of slaves. A few who obey him out of their sense of gratitude and obligations, this is the worship of free and noble men. There are those who worship to get, his, to get the goods. This is the merchants, the selfish. There are those who worship because they fear his wrath. This is the worship of slaves. But he says, this Muslim, in trying to describe a perfect Muslim, says there are those who worship out of their obligations and their sense of gratitude. Those are free and noble men. The irony here is that if you believe on a works-based system, no matter how much forgiveness you put into that system, you are either a traitor or a slave. And the irony is that in trying to describe the perfect Muslim, Imam Ali actually described the perfect Christian. You believe out of gratitude for what God has done for you, not for what you can do for God. That is grace. All this information is very valuable in order to share your faith with a Muslim. But none of it means anything if you don't understand this fundamental point. A point that I've discussed in these past sessions and that is this, there's a cost to truth. This is very hard to do. Not because the evidence isn't there or the good reasons for being a Christian aren't there, but because there's good reasons to not be a Christian. There's loss that occurs. So many people have a sense of identity that they will lose if they become a Christian. They will lose their family. They can lose their job. And in some parts of the world, you can lose your life. I want to share something with you as we close here. It is the story of Fatima al mutairi And she was a 26-year-old girl living in Saudi Arabia. In August of 2008, I believe, a Muslim cleric and her, and her, um, her brother, I believe, who was on the Saudi Arabian Ministry for the Prevention of Vi- uh, Vice and the Promotion of Virtue, Believe it or not, they have that thing. They can promote virtue and prevent vice. The whole ministry dedicated to this. Found out that she was a believer. And found out that she was a believer because she had engaged in encounters online with other Christians. And she had found evidence for her her faith and her beliefs that way. And she professed her faith to her family. And he was so enraged, he threw her into her room. And and as he was gathering evidence, he found all this information on her her, uh, computer about Christianity and the gospel and Jesus Christ. He threw her into her room and left it for four hours as he went to gather some more evidence and went to go get others, other authorities to come back and get her. During those four hours, Fatima, this follower of Christ, wrote a poem on the internet called, We for the Sake of Christ, All Things Bear. And bear with me as I read this because it's very important you understand this. I want you to see the hope and desperation, yet the clinging view that God is God, and God is greater throughout this poem. She says this, and it rhymes in Arabic, not in English. May the Lord Jesus guide you, O Muslims, and enlighten your hearts that you might love others. The forum does not revile the master of the prophets. It is for the display of truth, and for you it was revealed. This is the truth which you do not know. What we profess are the words of the masters of the prophets. We do not worship the cross, and we are not possessed. We worship the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. We left Muhammad, and we do not follow in his path. We follow Jesus Christ, the clear truth. We chose our way, the way of the rightly guided. And every man is free to choose any religion. Be content to leave us to ourselves, to be believers in Jesus. Let us live in grace before our time comes. There are tears on my cheek, and oh, the heart is sad. To those who become Christians, how you are so cruel. And the Messiah says, blessed the persecuted and we for the sake of christ all things bear what is it to you that we are infidels you do not enter our graves as if you are buried with us enough your swords do not concern me nor evil nor disgrace your threats do not trouble me and we are not afraid and by god i am unto death a christian verily i cry for what passed by of a sad life i was far from the lord for many years O history record and bear witness O witnesses We are Christians in the path of Christ we tread. Take from me this word and note it well. You see, Jesus is my Lord, and he is the best of protectors. I advise you to pity yourself, to clap your hands in mourning. See your look of ugly hatred? Man is brother to man, O learned ones. Where is the humanity, the love, and where are you? As to my last words, I pray to the Lord of the world's. Jesus the Messiah, the light of clear guidance, that he changed notions and set the scales of justice aright, and that he spread love among you, O Muslims. Hours later, she was killed by her own family. Fatima al-Mutayri realized something very important. She realized a poetry to the gospel. And it was worth everything to her. She realized this poetry, the word crucifixion has as its root the word crux, the Latin word crux. That word means the center, the place where things converge, the turning point. It was on that cross that Jesus, God incarnate, the God who is greater, came to earth and changed the destiny of billions. Fatima and Lutairi learned that. And all I've said for the past 40 minutes are wrapped up by the Lord of glory, that Lord who is greater, in one sentence. And Fatima was willing to give her life for it. And that one sentence is this, because I live, you also shall live. I encourage you to share that life, that truth. We've been talking about all these weeks now with non-Christians. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, if you can take a step, understand the gospel, and realize that the costs are worth paying, you can have that life. And because he lives, you also
1: shall live. Thank you so much for giving me a hearing. Today, Abdu revealed the absolute greatness of God. Instead of submission, works, and doubt, Christ offers relationship, self-sacrifice, and grace. Thank you for tuning in to Embrace the Truth. We hope that this message has engaged your heart and mind. To learn more about Abdu and the Embrace the Truth team, please call us at 888-84-TRUTH or visit us online at www.embracethetruth.org. Sponsored by Embrace the Truth International.